My next guest on the Tea Time sofa is Dr. Dean Burnett, a well-known neuroscientist, blogger, author, and definitely a man with a great sense of humour. This week, he has released his latest book, Psychological, which answers questions about what is actually going on in our brains when we're suffering from mental health issues. He's an ambassador for Rethink Mental Illness and has his own podcast chat show, Brain Yapping, with journalist Rachel England, which is an entertaining take on looking at your mental health. Their new series is out on Monday, the 8th of February on Spotify. Oh, on the Tea Time sofa, Dean shares how he got into studying brains and his work to help people suffering from mental health. Let's find out more. Warning, if any of this interview does affect you, the number for the Samaritans is 116123. Lovely to see you, Dean, and welcome to Tea Time with me, Ali Monjak. So exciting news this week, I hear. Uh, oh, this week, um, it's, well, it's Tuesday now, so it's uh, the 4th of uh, February. In two days' time is the official publication of my fourth uh, book, uh, Psychological. It's um, no, two words, very clever. Uh, as I say that every time I say the title, <laughs> people just keep calling it psychological. Like, no, you've got to emphasize, the, no, it's a pause. Oh, never mind. But um, yeah, it's basically my, um, uh, I'm a neuroscientist, so there's a lot of... Uh, brain-based books. This is my first one to really approach and tackle the subject of mental health specifically. Um, I've, I've alluded to it and addressed it in many various you know, indirect ways in the other books, but this one is um, specifically about that and the science underlying it, which I think is often an overlooked aspect, uh, which I think should be and could be uh, more widespread. So that's what I'm sort of trying to do with it. Well, absolutely. I mean, it, everywhere across the news, Everywhere you look at the moment, you hear stories of people not coping through this global pandemic. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. We're all affected by this in some way or another. Because wouldn't you say, it's fair to say, isn't it, that we are creatures that are very sociable by nature. Mm. And here we are locked away. Mm, definitely. If anything, so the evidence suggests we are literally the most sociable species in that, um, you know, you might think otherwise if you, if you turn on the news or check Twitter for up to 17 seconds and think, oh, people are horrible, they hate each other. But um, that's, you know, I think when you see stuff like that, you got to take, people don't take into account just how many humans there are in the world, there are over 7 billion. And that's ludicrous, a ludicrous number. And given how many of us there are, we actually, you know, attack or hurt each other vanishingly rarely and it's not it's not just like you know sociability doesn't necessarily mean friendly and you know, connect with everyone love everyone it's more a case of how well you can put up with other people just being around in the nature in the natural terms and we can do that better than any species like our most densely populated cities like shanghai they are way beyond any sort of insect colony in terms of density so we, we just you know, we, we are creatures who have evolved to have other people around. It's the secret of our success. So the evidence suggests that's why we evolved such big, powerful brains in the, in the first place, because they're so social. It takes more brain power to handle lots of relationships with other people who are as complex as you. It's not just like herds and survival. It's all about forming relationships, forming bonds, interaction, and that requires more intelligence. So yeah, we've evolved to be sociable and the pandemic has uh, denied <laughs> denied this integral part of us. So yeah, we, we are seeing, and I, Yes, you know, I, I, it's not nice to say, but I think we will see a lot more um, 
cases of mental health problems on the rise in, in the coming years because of all this. Yes, I, I think we were. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, how did you get into neuroscience? Because it's quite quite a large subject, isn't it? <laughs> it's rather, yeah. It's, um, I know a lot of academics have, like, uh, they come from academic backgrounds, like their mother or father was a scientist and they got into it, or they had some really sort of profound epiphany. Um, I got into it. Uh, this is genuinely true. Uh, as I, I think I was 10 or something, I was watching TV AM in the morning, and there was Paul Gambaccini was reviewing Robocop 2, and he didn't like it. And I remember as a kid of that age, Robocop was just so cool. It was like a real life video game. And he mentioned there's a scene in it where Robocop karate chops a brain. And I was just getting ready for school, and that, that image just really stuck with me. And I remember having nightmares about it that night about someone going around karate chopping people in the brain. And I sort of woke up thinking, you can't do that to brains. And I sort of developed this weird protective feeling of brains and that sort of never went away so I've said <laughs> like what was it, 28 years later here we are I'm now a neuroscientist and uh, it's not the most yeah, typical you are weird Dean uh, often yes and I, but I, I like to point out beforehand when I, before I meet people so um, yes that's uh, that's my take on it so uh, I came from it via a indirect route perhaps we say or a more unusual one compared to a lot of uh, professional scientists no um, <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think it's, may I say that, you know, your new book is this week, as you said, but I think it's a, an excellent subject choice for a neuroscientist to actually be talking about mental health issues. Um, because there is a bit of a grey area with that, isn't there? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of tricky in that, like, I think there have been some attempts in the past, but they're not, you know, they haven't gone very well. And this is me trying it again, because this book was released as an audio book, uh, a year in 2019 actually because obviously last year doesn't count because nothing much happened but um it, you know so it, it's not really it was well received so it, you know it does it's been proven as working but before now the general approach in writing books about mental health and publishing books mental health is always from it's like someone's personal journey in and out of mental health and experiencing the issues with it which is a really important aspect you know i think that the medical community the medical approach to mental health was often criticized and still is for being too impersonal for saying like you know, you're coming got mental health problems just do as you're told so you fix it and that doesn't really work with um mental health things because you can't really see them you can't sort of go in and fix things like you can with physical problems so you know it, it's a far more subjective thing but i think there's a gap in uh, you know in both that and the campaigns for awareness and like yes we can all say that mental health problems are genuine and real, which is very much the case, so they should be taken very seriously, which is, again, very true. But why? Why are they so common? Why do they, you know, why, does, why do we react in, these, in this sort of typical way, developing depression, anxiety, in the face of the world around us? What's going on internally, which leads to this? I think sort of grounding it in some sort of tangible process can hopefully, potentially, reduce some of the stigma, some of the suspicion people have about mental health. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with you and your mind it's that what well, there is but that's not your fault you know there's no blame it's, it's something it's how the brain works in this way this is why this is happening to you and i think that can take a lot of the fear and suspicion out of it if it's you know, more widely understood so is it all down to chemicals in your brain would you say um i wouldn't say that because uh, i might lose my neuroscience license it's um i get that, that's a very common um you know so people say the chemical imbalance is what causes some mental health problems and there's a big part of that, yeah. The, the, the chemicals, mainly the neurotransmitters, which allow our brain cells to communicate, which are essential for everything the brain does. 
they are sort of disrupted. They are they do show different levels in uh, lots of mental health problems, depression, anxiety. But that's sort of like just one part of the wider story. In that, you know, for a long time, it was believed that lack of certain chemicals is what caused depression, and antidepressants increased the, the, these missing chemicals, and that's why they work. And there's some truth to that, but you know, as time's gone on, we've studied it more and more, and it's sort of, actually that's that's almost like one part of the wider tapestry. Like the chemical levels are in decline, but because of changes in the way neurons behave, the neuroplasticity, can they adapt and change new stimulus? They, they lose that ability because of prolonged stress um, experiences, like stress chemicals themselves become more widespread. And this you know, weighs out neurons and they become more fixed, so you can't change your mood and then depression happens and so on and so on. So the chemical level is a part of it, but it's like one facet in a much, much, much wider process. And I think, you know, that's, when it comes to saying things like, oh, it's all about the chemical imbalance, that it does sort of acknowledge that there is a scientific basis for it, but it's also can be kind of counterproductive in that it sort of suggests there's a simple fix too. And that's something which so we kind of trying to kind of work against because saying like these things are easily remedied is not the case as, as anyone with a mental health problem will tell you. Yes, I mean, I do know a little bit about it. So I do understand that, you know, it, it, it can be really quite difficult what somebody else might see as straightforward, they just don't mm. see straightforward, you know, because they're so wrapped up in anxiety or depression that they can't, you know, mm. cope Absolutely. So, yeah. so there is that. But, you know, there, there is a little bit of a myth, isn't there, on the outside world about, you know, neuroscience is, you know, basically looking at all the chemicals in the brain and not looking at the, the bigger picture. But... As you've quite rightly cleared up, that's not the truth. No, <laughs> so, no. yeah. Yeah, I so, think there is a sort of suspicion with most scientists, like they just want to, to extract the mystery from things or just simplify things or make it like we're all just a bag of chemicals and there's nothing more to us than that. And that's, I mean, you will find a couple of scientists like that, as you will in any field. Like there are always the few who prolong the stereotypes. But by and large, I mean, it's, and neuroscience is a very advanced field now. Like we have, you know, all the MRI scanners and other interesting technologies allowed to expand the field, but it's still kind of early days. Like we, we know a lot of what's going on in the brain, but we still don't know why it does it, how it's doing it. Like what's this for? Why is that happening? So there's plenty of mystery left. And if you meet a neuroscientist who says, I understand anything about the brain and there's nothing to be impressed about, um, you should probably ignore that neuroscientist. They're not really, okay. <laughs> they're, they're violating the code. <laughs> I, I will say that I've I've had it on good advice from uh, Dr. Dean Bennett not not to um, take any notice. So yes, yeah, please do. <laughs> you can call me on that. I'll happily I'll happily <laughs> sign my name to that. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Now I've got a good excuse. So, hmm. um, psychological. I mean, what really? Well, I mean, we 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 know what kind of has inspired you to write it. I mean. It's almost strange, isn't it, that you've written it before the pandemic and now, mm. you know, the actual release of, of, of the hardback, so to speak, is um, something that is more than needed than ever, isn't it? Yeah, that was, I'm not going to say good timing, because obviously I would much rather not have a pandemic than have a, a useful hook for a book I've done. That would be a very poor trade-off. But yeah, it's, um, again, it's, it's very timely in that respect. And because a lot of the things I discuss in it are about you know, why we uh, experience mental health problems, what is it about modern life and the stresses it involves, which leads to mental health things. And 
I think that's, again, that's really important now because people will be experiencing declines in their mental health. And there's also, there's still like, you know, an element of it in, you know, maybe not so much society, more like online, because that's how people are communicating now, this, this urge or like this pressure to, you have to achieve, you have to do, you have to do all your homeschooling and like you're locked down. You, this is your perfect opportunity to advance yourself, you know, learn a new language, learn a new skill. Take on the projects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got the time now. You don't. Yeah. It's not how it works at all. But, um, so people will be both experiencing the stress of the pandemic and also this added pressure to feel like they're not wasting their time. And that's, you know, if you end up, you end up having depression or depressive symptoms as a result of that, you're going to feel worse because not only have you got the mental health problem, you're going to feel like you failed in some way. And that's, that's simply not how it works. You no, know, this isn't a extended holiday for everyone this is an extremely stressful time and <clears throat> it will impact on your brain's processes as a result and you know worsen your mental health and i think something which says to people look this is going to happen to you this is why this is happening so you haven't done anything wrong you are a human being and this is how human beings react to situations like this i think that's potentially quite useful so so i'm trying to sort of promote it a bit more yeah no of course it is i mean obviously you want to promote it as well let's be honest yes, of right? course. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, totally so, altruistic, yes. yeah so, so that you can put your gold star on your chart you know and say mm. that you've, you've you've achieved something this lockdown <laughs> no, i'm joking but <laughs> so, <Not> good, yes. <laughs> no yeah i mean it, it it is a good way of putting that to people and you know i've noticed myself doing what i do um you know talking to different people about emotions and um you know, situations that have been created because of the pandemic, I would say it, it you know, we're all living a, a much heightened emotional state, aren't we? Mm, yes, there's, um, <clears throat> try again. there is like a sort of general background fear. Now, people with anxiety were, at the start of the pandemic, at least, they were reported that their symptoms were, they weren't getting worse. If anything, they were lessening because when you've got anxiety, it's like it's a general constant fear that the worst is going to happen and when the world suddenly goes into a lockdown with a pandemic the worst has happened so you almost feel like no i was right that's that's something <laughs> that's that's reassuring in some way you know, yeah. it's a modest effect but it's something there and yeah so there is a lot more to be afraid of in the outside world now because you know you go outside you go to the shops go anywhere there's this constant background knowledge that you know, we're in a pandemic someone here could have this virus which is potentially fatal so yeah we, we, we will experience a lot more you know, emotionally heightened state, the more fight or flight, um, uh, more pronounced fight or flight reaction, you know, primed for it because that's, you know, there is something to be afraid of. And on top of that, not just, you no, know, if it was just like, you know, there's a, there's a band of tigers wandering in every street, that would be odd, but you know, that's, that's a far more tangible thing. You go outside, you know, tigers, I'll, I'll just go back inside for a bit until they're gone. You can't do that with a virus and then like that because you can never tell who's got what, where it is, you know, it's invisible, it's, it's, it's omnipresent. And this sort of keeps the stress going, you know, there's, there's nothing tangible about it in terms of what's right in front of you. And that, you know, just, you know, so the brain has nowhere to go in terms of, I've got this basic background fear response, which is what stress is really. It's like the, the initial stage of the fight or flight response, but the brain hasn't evolved to, well, hasn't evolved to do anything specific, but it, it hasn't evolved the mechanisms to really deal with it well over the long term because fight or flight is meant to be a short, sharp shock thing. And now we have these brains which can imagine long-term threats, which, you know, which aren't even necessarily physically dangerous. You can be afraid of losing your job. You can be afraid of losing your partner. You can be 
afraid of embarrassment. And these things won't physically harm you, but we are genuinely afraid of them. They stress us out. And now there's a lot more to be stressed about. And there's no real option to dispel this stress, to, to remedy it. Because even, you know, if you, everyone has their own way of tuning themselves up or feeling less stressed. But most of those are forbidden at the moment. You can't go to the gym and you know, work it out. You can't go to your local sports team and join your friends and have a game. You can't go to the cinema. You can't go to the pub. You can't sort of see friends. All these things that we normally do to resolve stress, and now they're gone as well. So it's a real double whammy of just heightened emotional anxiousness and you know, negativity. Yeah, no, def definitely. I, you know, I speak to so many people, as I said, and I just think, you know, it, it's almost as well that we don't have that outlet, do we, that we used to have to, you know, mm. go to the pub, meet a girlfriend for coffee, or do something like that. Do you see what I mean? We're constantly, aren't we, yeah. living either in work situations or home situations. So. Yeah. Like yeah, it's really stressful for just people. Like, that's how people operate anyway. Like we don't like, you know, instinctively on, on the neurological level, we react badly to having options taken away from us. It's a, you know, the phenomenon of reactance. I think we all, we've all encountered that when you didn't know something was an option, but as soon as it's taken away, you get angry about it because, oh, well, if I'd known, I would have done that. You know, it's, um, you know, people like say, you can't come in this bar because, well, why not? Because you know, <laughs> I, I never would have done, but now that I'm told I can't, I, I want it. And it's, it's a very... Children do it all the time, but adults it happens to as well. So you know, even if you know, we know, like you, know, you weren't a good, an avid theatre goer, if you weren't a regular live music attender, if you just you didn't go to the pub very often, you didn't go to nightclubs, the fact that you now can't is a bigger deal because you know, I, people say like oh, they're introverts, so at these times introverts should be having a oh, much easier time of it. Maybe they are, but there's a big part. The big difference there is yes, you can sort of shy away from human company, but it was always an option. You always had the ability to say like, well, I don't want to go to the cafe or go to go meet with friends or go to a party, but I can if I want to. And, you know, if I, the option is there and it's a, it's a choice to say I don't want to rather than you can't. And that really does, you know, that throws another big span in the works of how stressed we are. And these are the things we do normally to, to alleviate stress. You know, the, the world was stressful anyway before the pandemic and you know, the modern world. I'm not saying like, you know, it's dangerous or you know, we, we haven't got it. We haven't got it really... Um, cushy compared to our you know, ancient ancestors, but that's not how the brain does things. The brain starts from a baseline. The world is like this. This is what I expect. And when things go wrong, I get stressed. You, know, you can be a multimillionaire born into wealth, but if things go wrong, you'll get you still experience stress because you're not used to that. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very subjective thing. So yeah, everyone's subjectively more stressed and has less they can do about it, which is you know, a very unhelpful situation for just general mental health. So, I mean, what psychological does the, the book is, is actually sort of presents, you know, you with the facts of how you could be feeling or how things work, doesn't it, really? And also, you know, I, I think it's fair to say, you know, obviously I haven't read the book yet, but, you know, I, I have read the press release. But um, I think it's kind of like fair to say that, you know, you're a really in touch neuroscientist, may I say, and that, you know, in a friendly and accessible way to the majority of people, they can pick up that book and get something from it, can't they? That's my intention, yes. I mean, I've, I've been you know, told before that I have a far more um, accessible approach than a lot of scientist writers, because 
like I said, I'm not from traditional academic background, or I didn't come into the same route. Like the whole Robocop thing was just the start, and that I'm not. That is so funny. That is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's generally a true story, though. It's like that's that, I, I, tried, I thought about the other day, thinking, where, where did this come from? It's like, oh, that's my earliest memory of being interested in brains in any way. But you know, so I, I grew up. You know, I'm, as you tell from the accent, I'm, I'm a Welsh person. I'm from South Wales. I grew up in the, the Garrow Valley. It's a sort of you know in the 80s when the mine had just closed down so lived in a very economically deprived remote area i lived in the local pub my parents ran the local pub which is the hub of the community and um you know but you know we're talking an ex-mining valley when every working man in the in the valley was from very traditional stock and just lost their jobs and so you know, alcoholism was a big problem and mental health was sort of very um in hindsight, it was very prominent how many people were suffering from mental health issues because you know that's that is how it works. If you're impoverished, if you're from then, it wouldn't have been recognised, would it? Precisely, yeah. And um, you know, it's like in hindsight, I say now I've learned what things were. Like, oh, that's what that person was doing. That's why they were doing that. I mean, obviously, alcoholism is going to be a problem in any pub you go to, I suppose, especially if it's you know, a small community when no one has anything like that. But um, Yes, yeah, so I come from what I would I would argue very humble roots compared to a lot of academics, and there's um, you know, traditional people who get to write books and things, and also from a more you know, somber point of view, I'm from you know, the Garrow Valley is part of the Bridgend area, and if you remember the early two thousands, there was the Bridgend suicide spate, which you know I'm, my family was deeply affected by that when a lot of younger people took their own lives in a short space of time for reasons unknown, but the media coverage was just horrible of that, you know, because we were a small working class area, it was almost became like a freak show thing and the coverage was just totally unacceptable by modern standards but even at the time it was really yeah. inappropriate no I, do, I yeah. do remember that and you know mm. I think um also I can see that 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 has had a substantial effect on you and probably brought you to to, to writing books like this so that you know mm. you actively try and help the the majority of people out there because you know, we all suffer from some sort of mental health at some point in our lives, don't we, anyway? Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, the, the pandemic, I lost my father last year, like in April. He was the one that you know, he died in the early days of the pandemic and he was only 58 and there was no previous health problem. So I've had to endure that in, uh, you know, in lockdown. I have you know, not been cut off from all my family and friends. We haven't been able to do anything we want to do. It's been absolutely horrific. And obviously my mental health declined. As a result of that, and I've been very conscious of that, and it's sort of, um, you know, I've updated the book to reflect this too in certain parts because I thought, well, that's really relevant because I was, I was always kind of worried before now. Like I, I can talk the academic side, the scientific basis of the mental health problems till the cows mm -hmm. come home, but I'll always say that if you have a mental health issue of your own or have dealt with directly with someone who has one, you are in many ways more of an expert than I am because I haven't technically done that. I haven't been hands-on with the mental health, an official mental health problem by myself or someone else. So you know, it's such a subjective experience and such a, you know, a tangible experience when you go through it that, you know, I would, I would argue that anyone who's done it is, you know, in any appreciable ways, better informed than I am. But I think the, um, the background science, the underlying processes is, a, you know, it's a really helpful part of that to be aware of. And I think it helped me going through what I went through with my neuroscientific knowledge um, it wasn't. It didn't prevent things from happening to me, but it's. I don't know. It, I think it's. It, got, it kept me to the point where I was still able to function. I haven't um, needed therapy or interventions yet. I'll say yet because there's always a possibility. I'm just storing up, you know, well, problems for down the line. 
I think to be fair, sorry for your loss, Dean. Um, of course, it's fine. <laughs> no, well, it, it's not fine. It's well, no, not, I know, but it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It, it's absolutely not fine at all. But I think you know, you'll you'll possibly find when we do come out of all of these lockdowns and things start to sort of normalise that you know, grief is an ongoing process anyway. Mm. Absolutely. It really, really is. And and it does become a part of you. I, I can talk as an expert only because I've lost both parents. So, you know, one after the other, not, not at the same time, fortunately. Mm. But, you know, I do understand that, you know, it, it just becomes part of you. And just when you think you're doing well, you suddenly go, wee, I'm not mm. saying that. Yeah. It, you know, it, it does become part of you. So, you know, they, I mean, it, it's like, for you and everybody right now who's experienced the loss of a loved one in this situation, when you, you know we finally come out of that, that is probably when it's going to start hitting you in terms of, you know, well, where is he? Or, mm. you know, why can't I talk to him now? And, you know, because we're we're living in an unusual bubble space, aren't we? Absolutely. And that's something I've, that's why I say thus far, I haven't needed any help. And okay, I, I feel confident that I will get through this okay. But like you say, um, when it happened, it was horrific. But I, you know, I live with my wife and two small children, and we're all we've got right now. We, you know, we live far enough away from any family. We can't rely on them for you know, support and stuff because the, because of lockdown. I'm sure they would be there if they if they could be. So you know, I you know, I also like didn't have any option to grieve. It was you have to keep going because you've got small children. They've just lost their grandfather. They've lost access to all their school, their friends, you know, they are my priority. And I almost had to, you know, I technically had to put my grief on hold for quite a while um, in order to just get them through the situation. And, you know, it, 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 it took a lot to do that. It was a, it was a very big ask. And, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm glad, I say I'm glad I did it. It just needed doing. It was, it was, a, it was, an, it was, an, it was a necessity that you know, I didn't have any choice in the matter. But and again, sort of, I think because like you say, we still, kept apart from people like this does you know, it feels like everything everything's been put on hold as in the grieving process the, the the fact that you can you don't see i'm not seeing any family right now let alone the ones i've lost and that's you know, that's it's like a holding pattern so will i be you know worse than that after lockdown ends and i can't see people again possibly um you know or will it be long enough that i've got over the worst of it i think i, I likened it being a neuroscientist going through this sort of stuff is like a person it's like being an expert mechanic who's trapped on the motorway in a car with no brakes, like you, you know what the problem is, but you can't really do anything about it. You've just got to ride it out until you get to the end, and hopefully it'll, it'll be a safe landing. But um, yeah, hopefully it'll be yeah, a safe so. landing. I, and I'm, you know, I'm sure it will be a safe landing. And as you said, mm. you know, you've got a lovely family and um, mm. young children. So I mean that that sort of I think children put things into perspective in such a a huge way don't they that you know that that we don't necessarily see as adults because mm, you know yes. their little world is totally different to ours basically so yeah. um, I, um the most helpful thing was my five-year-old daughter who is um should we say a confident one when she uh, saw me um being uh you know I, I had my spells of just being down and being melancholy because you would and uh, my wife was trying to help me my son who's eight and quite perceptive he's like being considerate and stuff her approach was to just run up to me, sort of look me square in the eye and say, be happy, put a thumbs up and just yell at me. So, okay, <laughs> I guess that'll work as well. A far more, di far more direct approach, but one I appreciate in hindsight. <laughs>
brilliant. Yeah, I did. So you couldn't make that up, could you? That, no, no. He could, but yes, I didn't. So also, I mean, moving on slightly from the book for now, mm. you also, you do your own podcast, don't you, with Rachel English? Yes, Rachel England. Yes, we've sort of we picked up again. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. yeah. We, we did did a series um, back in 2019. Brain yapping. It's called Brain Yapping the podcast. I have a blog called Brain Yapping too, and it just seemed mm. like a good title for people talking about brains because obviously, <laughs> um, it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's coming. We, we, we're coming. We are relaunching again next week. I think uh, we did one series in 2019. Went really well. It was just her asking me brain-based stuff and we just talk about it you know in, in real time there was no prep and stuff so see if you could add live neuroscience essentially and it was um, fun uh we've got big plans for another series in 2020 and then the pandemic hit and i went through i went through and she has mental health problems of her own and so we thought well we finally got around to it so why don't we just talk about that for a bit so we're focusing on the ins and outs of mental health particularly in the pandemic but what it's like to go through it why we go through it and yeah, so it, you know, we, we sort of change the focus a bit. So hopefully it'll be um, it'll be interesting for those who are interested. <laughs> that's kind of self <laughs> self sustaining, there, isn't it? Really? No, no, that that that's fine. We're you know we're we're quite accepting here at Tea Time. <laughs> so yeah, we just um, completely. Um, well, no, I think that's brilliant. I did um, have the chance to sort of listen to a little bit of your your podcast, your previous podcast, and <laughs> and I thought it was really good that you know you're able to to talk about mental health issues as well. And, you know, again, this is something that, you know, we just need to keep this dialogue da- going, don't we, really? Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, it has come, <clears throat> it has improved since I've started, you know, I started writing for The Guardian uh, as a regular contributor when I was in 2012 and I was doing it before then. And I've seen like how much it's come on, the discussion on mental health. Because when I started or just over 10 years ago or whenever it was, it was, um, you know, the, the the discussion though the general dialogue was different you know you you regularly still regularly got people saying depression isn't a thing it's not real it's just made up it's you no know, just a bad mood just snap out of it and you don't really get that so much anymore i'm sure there are plenty of places where you will find it but it's far less in the mainstream now you'll get more arguments about whether or not antidepressants are a thing or whether they work and that's that's a whole other discussion but it's you know it's sort of like the stigma and denial of mental health has at least taken that step back. So people accept that it's a thing now. So you know, it's a slow and steady process, but hopefully we are moving in the right direction. I think it is a, it is a yeah, we are moving in the, the right direction. I mean, certainly, you know, I, I've been a journalist for quite a few years and, um, you know, we, we do talk a lot more and there, there are groups that you can go to and the mental health awareness days as well, I think are really invaluable aren't they for people to come Mm. forward and say you know we all suffer from some sort of depression or anxiety don't we really all of us yeah I mean like I think uh, you know it's that's one thing I would try to address in that this idea that depression is just a bad mood or like anxious is just a bit of anxiety is just a bit of stress it's um there's so much more than that you know if anything the mood of state isn't really the most defining characteristic it's the fact that you can't change it and I think that's where a lot of the um, you know, a lot of the stigma comes from, like depression. We, we've all had we've all been depressed. But when some people say I've been depressed, they mean I was sad after I you know, after a relationship broke down, after I lost my job, which is a totally valid and correct thing to be and to say. But it's not the same as clinical depression, which is more like at least two weeks, perhaps more than a month of just being unable to get out of this really negative mental state, which is a whole different problem. So yeah, I think there's um 
you know, awareness of this is really helpful. And that's what I've tried to expand on. But I think as good as the awareness campaigns are and as necessary as they are, I think there's still a lot of scope for improved understanding because when you're aware of something, you don't necessarily do something about it. You know, like I'm, I think everyone's aware of Wi-Fi now, but I don't, I couldn't tell you how it worked or if it, if it broke, what to do about it. But I know I need it. I know it's a thing that we all rely on. Yeah. But yeah, but I think the same with mental health. Like, right, we're aware of mental health as an issue. Right now, what? And like, it's like, okay, good. Like, I think perhaps by enhancing understanding, knowing why it's a problem and how it can be affected. That way we can say, oh, so maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that as to, to remedy it. And that's sort of my overarching goal of trying to improve understanding with that sort of thing, thinking in mind. Rather than, just, rather than just acknowledging it, then trying to understand it, yeah. So a little bit like as well, you know, if you, the, the, you know, the, those sort of parallels have been drawn quite a lot to do with physical and mental health. If you break a leg, you go and you get it set, mm. you get it fixed, don't you? If you have a mental health issue, probably a large amount of people, a good percentage of people, will not do something about it, will they? No, but again, they, it's like there's a lot more stigma attached to mental health problems. Like if you break your leg, <clears throat> unless you do it something, you know, doing it something reckless, like if you're drunk and jumping off buildings, but even then, people won't necessarily judge you if they see you walking around with a mental with a with a broken leg. Um, so yeah, like uh, that's, that's one thing. I'll, another thing I also address in the book is the, you know, the parallels between mental and physical health issues, and that there are lots of overlaps. I think more people realise in that you know, lots of physical health problems are uncertain. Lots come from, and you know, we don't know what the cause really is. We just know how to deal with it. But like you say, the idea that a health problem can be fixed stems largely from physical ailments. You, know, you, you set you set the leg, you treat the virus, you remove the tumor, whatever it is. And mental health problems don't don't typically don't work that way. You don't get them fixed. You 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 find strategies to to cope, to manage them. And you know, you, you you regain, yeah, you, you regain your function in that way. But you're not sort of cured of depression. It's just, okay, so that's what you've got now. This is how you manage it. This is how you keep on top of it. But it's not, you know, it's not necessarily gone away. It's it's a thing. It's a thing that you have. Uh, and that's it's something that should be accepted. So the, I think while it's helpful to emphasize how genuine and serious they can be, comparing mental health to physical health problems can have downsides in that it makes people expect there to be a fix. Or like if you, go, you know, if you apply for time off work for mental health problems, a lot of the system is set up for physical health problems. So you can say like, how long would you expect to be off? How long do you think this will be lasting? Or when can you come back? And you can't really answer these questions when it comes to a mental health problem because they're so much more vague and more uncertain. And yeah, that's another thing I'm sort of trying to tackle in that, yes, it's good to draw comparisons to emphasize that they're genuine and real, but they are also their own kind of their own kind of deal, which I think should, should be sort of more, more uh, understood and acknowledged. And, you know, definitely in the workplace, don't you think? I think, you know, we have come a long way in a lot of work situations, um, but, you know, even so something as simple as grief, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody who has written a, a book about grief um, not so long ago when it was Grief Awareness Week. And, you know, he was saying that employers still don't do enough for their staff that have lost somebody. You know, they st still don't say, <clears throat> right, well, some do. I mean, that's unfair. You can't throw yeah, yeah, totally. Off. 
but you know that there, there needs to be you know a better program to, to reintroduce people to work as well and um yeah because you can't be making decisions can you when you're you know grieving mm. or upset or you know same as yeah. a relationship breakup i think Totally, yeah. I mean, I guess you have to draw a line somewhere as in what counts as <clears throat> genuinely debilitating and you can't get, get around it. I mean, I think grief does genuinely come under that umbrella. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, modern day discussion about the, the efforts that employers and workplaces have to take care of their you know, the employees' mental health. And it's far more of a conversation. It's far more of a awareness of it as a thing to be considered. And you get you know people with uh, talk about their employees they have they have compassionate leave and they can say and i've got depression so i need to take time off work and things like that so that's far more of a common thing which is all good but if you speak to you know most people there is still a general vibe of workplaces sort of acknowledging mental health as a sort of as lip service so like a sort of window dressing to say yes we have we give employees a mindfulness app when they you know have stress or i think a lot of people in the nhs particularly now report about all this resilience training, which is, you know, a way to coach your staff and your, your employees to deal with stressful situations better, which mm. can be helpful. But, you know, if but then a lot of employees, especially in the NHS and things, seem to take that in as a blank check to make the work more stressful. As in, well, we don't need to hire any more people. We just give them resilience training and pile on the workload and make them do more stuff because they're resilient now. And that's that's not how it's meant to work at all. That's, no, that's a completely exactly. wrong way around. And um, yeah, so there is still like, you know, priority is the bottom line a lot of the time. And if we can say, we can say we've, we take mental health seriously and then say, well, I want some sort of investment in better workplace practice or lesser workloads. Is it? No, we've got you, I know, there's a casual Friday and a mindfulness booklet. Here you go. That's what you get. And that's, you know, there's, again, the difference between awareness and understanding and application is quite marked in cases like this. Mm. yeah definitely so we've in your sort of humble opinion we've we've still got a way to go haven't we really to address um a lot more of these issues yeah uh definitely but you know they are acknowledged as issues at the moment and that is still you know it's still a good step compared to where we were before and when the idea of a mental health problem wasn't even like accepted as even a genuine a genuine thing to be worried about and we've come a long way since then at least so you know, again Long way to go, but we are on the right path insofar as I can see. Uh, we, we may step back, we may go in the wrong direction, but thus far, I think the progress, it, is, it has been progress and it has been positive, but like I say, still a way to go. Do you know what? Thank you, Dean, so much for coming on Tea Time with me. I've Absolutely really fine. enjoyed talking to you. I, it is fascinating, isn't it? You know, brains. Well, <laughs> I think I'm biased, but yes, I'd say so. <laughs> I also share the same sort of interest, but in a different way. So yeah. <laughs> I think I'm assuming yeah. yours wasn't Robocop based. Yeah. So. I, I, sorry, it wasn't Robocop based. <laughs> Just me then. Yeah. I, I definitely didn't put it down on my resume. So oh, okay. <laughs> that's why I wasn't getting interviews. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, anyway, you take care. It'd be lovely to talk Thanks to you. Much. Thank you too. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Look forward to chatting with my next guest on the Tea Time Sofa this time next Saturday. In the meantime, if you would love to get in touch about having a chat with me, you can reach me on teatime at forthenow.co.uk. 
where you can find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on Tea Time with AM. Bye for now.